0: Hey, everyone. It's Dave Smith here with my great friend and and highly experienced, highly qualified Jack Brody here. And we are so excited to be sharing some information with all of you as we progress through this program of various uh, progressions to reaching what I call an advanced foundation. Basically, the principle of, of allowing a player to reach their full potential based on athleticism, desire, dedication, all those other intangibles. So Jack, uh, I wanted you to jump in here. We're going to be talking about the serve. So why don't you kind of start us off with some of your ideas as far as how we're going to start this off with serving.
1: Well, thanks, Dave. And it's always fun to see you. Always great to see you talk a little tennis, talk a little music. It's great. We have a lot in common. And make some plans for the future here, which we'll let you all know about soon enough. Um, Yeah, well, Advanced Foundation, I really love that term, and I love the way we titled this too, success. If, if Advanced Foundation is too much for you, how about success? Because I think success is a great word,
0: and unfortunately,
1: it's underutilized. So well, today we're talking about to serve, and I, and I guess, as usual, Dave, we're going to talk about a little bit of technique, right? I'm going to be jumping in, jumping on you, and all that stuff when it comes to technique. But also about how to get a lot of people engaged in practicing and learning their serve. Because remember, I'm, I've always been a private lesson guy, a technician, so to speak. Right. And you have always been, not always, I know you do privates, but I know team is, is your thing. And, and, and the serve, as you know, I know when I was taught, you know, I, I was told the continental grip, put the racket behind your back, start practicing a toss, and Of course, the tosses fly all over. And this is the first thing people have to battle with is the toss right. and the and the continental grip. right? And I can tell you, I remember it very well. A little quick story. When I was 11 years old and not really, or 10, maybe 10, I was getting into tennis. I was leaving baseball. That's what I was. I was a baseball player. I knew every stat, but anyway, I would love baseball and I was getting into tennis and my coach back in the seventies, right? he, Gives me the continental grip. Might have been late 60s, actually. And he gives me a basket of balls. I watch him walk off the court in a half hour lesson. He goes for a smoke and a (laughs) cup of coffee. And he's on the phone with a cup of coffee. And I see him in the window in the indoor courts. And I'm literally hitting every serve into the side fence. I'm barely touching the ball. And I remember distinctly crying. By myself, out there on the court, I'm like, I'm all alone. So the continental grip and the toss really can get to people. Right. So I, I think that might be the first place we really address is what the conventional teaching is for the continental and the toss and what, what, you, what we can do to be more successful, to have more advanced foundation, so to speak. And, um, and that's, that's really where I'd like to go today. Um, well let me add to yeah basically do, I right I think we can go ahead and talk about a whole group because well, that's one thing I've never really done
0: one one thing is a, and I, I highly recommend every pro become a high school coach at some point because there is no other vehicle that allows a pro a, a pro a coach who knows his stuff to actually have number one a broad spectrum of player abilities from the from beginner to highly skilled. If you've the, either gotten good players in or you've trained them to become highly skilled. And the other thing is um, you get to compare your progression over the course of usually four years. If you have a, a girls or boys that come out as freshmen, you actually see, whereas pros at a club, yeah, you might get a kid that stays with your program for many years, but for the most part, now I've got, I average 50 kids every year and i keep 99 of them for four years if i get them as a freshman sure so i have a, a, an actual objective and almost a quantitative value of improvement of seeing my 50 players in, improve as a group as well as my 50 players improve compared to other teams over the course of year after year after year and there's no question there's uh, our, our success speaks for itself but Looking at the serve, we do teach the continental grip from the get-go, but we also understand it's not a familiar grip. Now, are we going to abandon the continental grip just because it's unfamiliar, or do we train the continental grip so it becomes familiar? I get really tired. I'm sorry if you're a pro that that caters to the, the familiarity or the comfort level and say, well, we're going to do what is natural to you you're basically getting a player who will be good at becoming bad uh, good at being bad. And so if you avoid the continental grip, they're never going to master it. I think we mentioned this last week when we talked about the volleys. Exactly. So you've got to train skills using drills, exercises and processes that allow a player to become, make the unfamiliar familiar, make the uncomfortable, become comfortable. Abandoning it or avoiding it, I, I have a phrase in my book that is pretty deep, but it says if you avoid that which you're trying to achieve, you're going to achieve that which you're trying to avoid. I like that. I and so like if it. you think about yeah. that, yeah, if you abandon or a, a, avoid the continental grip, you're never going to, you're actually promoting something that makes it even more difficult to change. So we train our players in the continental grip through a lot of simple drills, bounces, up bounces, down bounces, slice bounces, catches like like your lacrosse or your uh, where you catch it and hit it over. Everything that helps a player gain functionality and feel. So that's going to be my first comment is we, we teach eight-year-olds to 80-year-olds with a continental grip. And within, I'm going to say within two days to three days, they have a pretty good... Feel and and you mentioned something that was very common especially for pros that teach an eastern forehand grip and now we're going to teach the Continental. where does the ball go you you said it yourself jack it curves to the far left if you're right-handed and you're like well this doesn't work and what do they do they go right back to the p- patty cake waiter grip flat serve for quote unquote success well, that success is very limited because you're basically a gravity reliant player. What does that mean? Hits the ball high enough and hard enough to clear the net, soft enough that gravity brings the ball down. And the minute you swing harder, you can't get it in very often. Spin, as you know, as well as I know, and most of our listeners know, is why we hit top spin ground strokes because we can make a ball drop faster than gravity alone. We can hit the ball harder. Serving is no different. And I, I'll i let you jump in. Sorry to hog this segment. But here's what I find. I've, we have clubs around the area and other places in the country where pros are teaching a flat serve first. And in fact, almost not teaching a spin serve. Ironically, these same clubs teach massive topspin ground strokes. And I, my students that come to me going, oh, our, our pros teach us to hit flat serves. I'm like, well, do they teach you to hit topspin ground serves? Oh yeah, huge topspin. I'm like, why would you not want Top spin on the serve or kick or slice or hybrid serve for the same reason why would you teach something that's flat and has limitations to speed when you're teaching tops and ground strokes it makes no sense so if you're teaching it's, ground and ground and ground people, ground yeah. it's a disservice it's really a disservice
1: to right. your client because they're not there for you to make them feel good necessarily they're there for you to teach them for them to learn Absolutely right. If you're gonna avoid it because of the uh, lack of immediate gratification, you're not doing anyone any favors.
0: No, no, and it's a false sense of security. And and if the the student, the parents are ignorant, they're going to go, oh, wow, look, my my kid's hitting the serve in at four miles an hour. Okay, now let them try to serve 20 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour. Suddenly the ball won't go in because they don't have the right uh, spin pattern or the right path to create that spin that we're talking about. And so, you know, one of the things that we teach right from the get-go, I don't have my video up now, this is just a a little sophomore boy that's learning to hit a kick serve, but we teach a lot of aspects of the swing path to get across the ball, get that feeling of that racket accelerating across the ball. This is a big kick serve so you can see that really exaggerated, what we call the dirty diaper position. At contact to get them to feel the tip of the racket getting ahead of the rat, uh, the hand. Because notoriously we see players, and you know as well as I, they bring the hand in first, lagging the racket behind, and then they pull their arm down, and then they make contact. I have a, a a system of identifying people who do that. Look at their shin. They're going to have black and blue marks on Oh, their yeah, head that's, right. Because that's right. Their release is down by their waist and they can't slow the racket down. They've already hit the ball. They I think I position. did that a couple of times in the 12 and unders.
1: I think yeah. I got my shin a yeah. couple of times in the 12s.
0: And um, all you have to do is ask players that hit with an Eastern forehand grip the minute they swing hard Have you ever hit yourself in the leg? Oh, yeah. Oh, I've hit myself in the leg many times. Well, if you, and I demonstrate the serve on my knees. To show if you do it right, your racket shouldn't touch the ground. If you do it wrong, you're going to break the racket on the ground. I usually tell pros if you're going to demonstrate the serve on your knees and you have your kids do it, do it out on some grass areas because they they will hit the ground if they do not know how to get to what we call. Well,
1: the I'm kick. I'm glad you mentioned the knees thing because I didn't put that on my videos. I have that of course in my school, but I didn't put that on for today's talk. But I should have. Uh, I also do the knee thing, but. It's funny, I saw uh, on Facebook this week, a guy, a pro, you know, doing, uh, you know, here's a tip, and he right. gets on his knees, says, serve from your knees, he doesn't bother to tell you how the stance is, so his stance on his knees, right, uh, right. So, uh, funny thing, but his stance on his knees, he's directly facing the net, but the 45 degree oh. angle,
0: yep.
1: And but he doesn't even mention it, so if you stand there, and you're parallel to the fence, or if you're, if you're parallel to, to the, to the net, you're right. going to flop straight down, but you have to be at this 45 Absolutely. to make it happen. But the pros, they just go get on your knees. And and I really think that's one of the very first, I'm glad you brought that up. That's one of the first things, make sure when they get on their knees, they're facing the right direction or they won't have any luck at all.
0: Exactly. And that goes back to the grip, because if you don't prepare the student that's right. for the serve angle, because the continental grip, has the angle of the racket here rather than here, the ball's naturally going to go. So I, and these pros that say all the time, oh, it, we'll just change their grip later. Um, it's oh, not it's just good. a grip change. It is a position change, a contact point, uh, swing path change, everything changes when you change the grip or has to change, otherwise they will be very successful. So right. you're absolutely right. So the other thing about the
1: continental grip is, and. and no one talks about this either. The continental grip was made for the 45. Think about it. Oh, absolutely. Right? If you're facing this direction and your racket is angled this way, it's gonna go into the court, yeah. right? So the 45 degrees is literally built for the continental grip.
0: Yep, yep. So, I mean, that is a, an important aspect and if you don't ad- address it, um, either doing it from your knees or just any, any aspect, you will indeed discover problems, I guess you could say. Um, And I was trying to find, I've actually got a picture of me on my knees serving, but I can't seem to find it right now. But, you know, these are all factors that, there are so many variables that must be addressed when a player or coach is teaching uh, different aspects of the sport, that if you leave one out, and I tell players both in golf and tennis, there are you can do seven things right, one thing wrong, and the result will usually be failure in terms of the outcome of the shot. Yeah. So we have to address, we cannot neglect, and we have to also advise our players that if you are not addressing all these things, then it's, you know you can pretty much expect your student to have some failure. But they should understand that that failure is part of the learning process. And I really am, is, is stress this. I tell players, in fact, I'll, I'll pl- tell a player who hits a shot, misses the ball completely perhaps, but use the right stroke, the right technique, the right sure. grip, and I'll say that was a great swing. I don't care sure. where the ball goes. We can always change the timing and the aim, but if the stroke is wrong or they're used changing the stroke to accommodate the aim, well, you're going to have a lot of problems because the stroke's always going to be changing. You're never going to have two strokes the same.
1: Well, you're going to limit your progress. I mean, period. You're going to really stay at. You know how people say in tennis, they level off. Right. They're
0: going to level off at a very low level. Exactly. We call it stagnation. And we I see it all the time in players who have been taught. And these same players may have very well... Um, uh, you know pass my players up initially or beat my players initially sure but the funny thing is the um the players my players who learn the right technique may lose initially and then they pass those players up and then i hear please players tell the coaches all the time Why can't we play like that coach or that team that is coached by Dave? Why can't we be that good? And the coach, of course, always inevitably says, "Well, they get a lot of good players into their program. No, we don't. We train our players to be really good." And this is a 11-year-old girl behind This is not my daughter. This is one of girls. She had 100, 105 mile an hour serve at 12 years of age. Wow! And again, you can see the simplicity of your 45 uh, angle. Yeah. yeah. Perfect body position. What we're looking for prior to the collapse of the racket, and her racket and speed was 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 developed, and not again a small girl, not very big, um, who could serve as all my players can do extremely well. Um, so obviously, we want to encourage this. Um, and well,
1: I, I just I just realized that um, when I was a kid, remember I told you that story that my coach probably could have fixed me if he said, well, because I just figured out what it was right now. The reason everything went into the left fence is because obviously with this continental grip, I was trying very hard to keep. I was opening up facing the net and everything. All he had to say was just keep stay at the 45 and the continental grip would have worked. And I wouldn't have had such a tough time. So a simple fix, just like staying lined up, you know, Dave, a simple fix could really help someone with this grip
0: Right. Absolutely. I've just frozen my screen
1: So what I wanted to show you, and I really would like your opinion on this sure. um, I'm going to move over here. But what I do is to get the continental grip going, Now these two are beginners. They've never played tennis, they've never had a lesson, and they've only gone on the court and goofed around. What I have them do is I have them hold the racket I'm going to grab a stick here, yep. and I have them hold the racket here to start with. Right? Right Right with their fingers behind the strings, like that. Yep. Yep. You see? And that is the continental grip. Yep. And then I really did not like, I do not like the way tennis is taught, the way they have you start here and toss. I've always found that the toss and the hit are connected together, and the toss comes off the body. It's not just a lever, right, that you just move your arm. It actually flows off of your hips, believe it or not, the toss, And and so what I do right from the get-go is I have them start, you know, here really with their fingers behind the strings and then slowly slide down. And I do it over about five, 10 minutes, depending on the athlete. And by the time they get to the grip, they really, they feel it and they understand it. And it's quite simple. So I just have them do the figure eight, whether it's on a board or not, doesn't matter. And I have them toss the ball. I'm glad we're starting from the beginning here. And I have them toss the ball from hand to hand like this right. just to get this connection, right, of the, two, um, of the two sides of the body and how they work together. See so see what the girls are doing? Yes. These two really have never played tennis. But you'll see they're getting their serves in like money in about two minutes. Right, about two minutes. Yep. And we start right here. This is real time. And then we switch. And when we get to the racket, we have them choke up. And we have them continue this and then we just toss into it so
0: i don't know if you've used this technique before um or what well i number one i'm a very firm believer in rhythm and putting things together uh as quick as you can and get players feeling the the, the thing we have to understand with a lot especially girls because a lot of girls Never threw a football, or That's right. a football, or a baseball, or a frisbee, sometimes even. We're talking about some of the end components. So we're dealing with players that are very novice in body and um, muscle um, coordination in terms sure. of putting these movements together. If we have a player who's learned to throw, usually we're ahead of the game a little bit. But of course. the thing I I, treat, I teach first is the slice feel because hitting a ball with spin, it feels different than hitting the ball flat. And every beginner who does not have any idea of what spin does is going to hit the ball flat because that's all they know. Right. Uh, well, I'm going to linear hit a very linear swing, very straight, very flat. And yeah, you can get a serve in really quick. We want them to feel that brush. So we, I will agree 100% that putting together that sliding action or feeling. We, we first teach the brush, actually holding the ball, like my fist is a ball, and brushing their strings across their ball, first yeah. thing that we want them to feel. Then we raise that up and do it up here a little higher, and then even higher, so that they're starting to feel that connection of the racket going across the ball rather than at the ball. So we, I always compare the serve in simplistic terms. Flat serve, <clears throat> the strings come at the ball. Slicers, any spin serve, across the ball. Right. There's always gonna be a component of forward movement if the racket starts behind the head. So I never even teach pronation. I've never even used the word pronation. It's an automatic, every single player will pronate their racket. If you teach them to brush, they will pronate. And the players who are taught to pronate end up pronating prematurely almost every time and hit the ball very, very flat. And they don't get the feel of the brush. And so, again, I've taught 3,500, more than 3,500 players. And I've never even used the word except sometimes I'll be explaining what actually happens. I'll I'll tell a player, brush the ball, your your arm will naturally do what's called internal rotation of the forearm, which is a it's bigger word of pronation and I say just work on the spin and every single player every without an exception that will pronate the rack they'll pronate their form at the right time you t- I, and I used to work at a club I won't mention its name it was a, a very prolific club and all they did was talk about pronation yes and all they were doing was yes. players to hit flat 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 and could not feel the spin, the carving action, the brushing action, the, the across the ball action. <clears throat> so they never produced a top level player. And they had been there for 20 years before I got there. Never had a state champion. I was there for two and a half years. We had 22 state champions in two and a half years. They had zero before that. Now, it's not just the serve, but I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of things they did that were prohibitive of developing a more prolific group of players that became what I call reaching their potential. So everything you are talking about is is exactly what we do. I emphasize probably a little more than you do. Yes, yes. Across the ball, because I know the start that once I get them feeling that motion, then there's certain things that may or may not happen automatically, but we can correct or or add to that. I don't like to use the word correction, but we add to that swing pass. So whether you start in the racket drop or collapse position, whether you start just up here, just feeling the brush, as long as they're starting to feel that spin, you're going to have a player that understands what, and this is a whole nother thing. How many kids, and again, girls are notorious because they didn't throw a football or they didn't yeah. throw a curveball ball in baseball they don't understand what a spinning ball does in the air. And, and little kids obviously very seldom to boys or girls. So we want them to feel it. Then I tell them, watch what the ball does. I don't care where the ball goes. I want them just to watch how it curves. Sure. If I'm a right-hander hitting a slice serve, how much it curves to the left. Our first serve that we teach every beginner is a slice serve for that reason. We Me want too. them to what? know, oh my gosh, did you? And the, the reaction. I think the slice
1: serve is the most underutilized and, and probably it's the most underrated serve. I mean, look at some of the great tennis stars, whether it was Ken Rosewall or Marcelo Rios. I mean, these guys lived off their slice serve. Sampras had an incredible slice serve.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and they again, all, and they you all know, you know and we, slice we, serve. when I was Tennis One senior editor for TennisOne.com for about 10 years, um we did a there was a good study john newdale did a great study on ball rotation among top players i remember it well and there it was very revealing i think he used a a thousand frames a second video camera high very very high tech camera john john was very good about that and he could actually count the ball rotations of a ball because of this this camera and the, th- the funniest thing was at 130 miles an hour, the average serve surf- speed of Sampras, Rosetsky, Roddick, Todd Martin, sure, a handful of others, averaged 1500 RPMs of spin, 1500 rotations per minute on their 130 mile an hour serve. Now Pete Sampras had the fastest ball rotation on 130 mile an hour serve at 2800 RPMs. And that's far from flat, folks. There's no and, such thing. I tell my kids, there's no such thing as a flat serve. No. If you hit a flat and, and there's serve. There's no reason.
1: You, it's, yep. it, it's, it's actually, I tell them, it's a dummy serve. That's really it is. a dummy
0: serve. You're right. And and I get kind of upset when I hear these commentators go, wow, he hit that flat serve big time. I'm like, they did not hit it flat. Even John Isner 6'11 hits with a lot of spin on a 135, 140-mile-an-hour serve. Even at his height, he still has to have some degree of spin so that ball still has some arc down because at 140 miles an hour that ball is going to be a frozen rope if you don't have some spin to go with it and so yeah you're absolutely there was was
1: some study way back when
0: you're old enough to remember the
1: things i can remember it was done at stanford i think i I'm, I'm, i'm sure it was done at stanford and they said that you had to be about i think it was eight foot two to hit a flat
0: serve yeah, I, think, percent, I think big Brain said nine foot one or something, yeah, something like you know, that. Pretty high number.
1: Yeah. Yeah. To get the, you know, cause you have to have a trajectory. It's still, the ball has to rise and then fall still yep. even on the big exactly. serve. You exactly. can't just hit down into the court. It's not like you're standing on the net and just smacking it down. You're just, you know, you're 70 or whatever, 40 feet away from right. the net. And, and, you know, you're probably about 90 feet away from the end of the service line and you've got to put spin on the ball so
0: absolutely
1: yeah like I said I guess the big difference is I do talk a lot about spin and and you know we when we were younger they talked about the the clock right they hit three o'clock and seven o'clock and hit you know give them a haircut for the kick serve but I really one of my issues has always been that people try to isolate parts of your body to teach the serve we're all going to practice our toss well you'll never get a good toss this way because it's it's unrealistic you know and you and if you start that way my god how nervous would you be to start stagnant you know why do you think the pros move like baseball players right they're all like this when they're getting ready or they're bouncing the ball and they're sort of fidgeting like a golfer or a baseball player before they serve because they want to get into this flow motion with both sides of their body so I guess that's a big thing. And this drill behind me is the same type of thing. It's uh, I just toss and catch. I know, I'm sure you do this drill, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Where you just toss and catch, but you see how that involves both sides of the body right. in, in doing this one little move. I mean, if you try to toss and catch like this, that would be very difficult. But if you just pass the ball back and forth like that, it's much easier. So um, so I'm big on, on keeping both sides of the body um, symmetrical and fluid absolutely, and keeping your head in the middle.
0: Right. Well, and creating that angular momentum that we talk a lot about in, in any racket sport where there's rotational movement. Um, I I'll say we're probably different in one respect. I do break the serve up in terms of incremental components. For one reason, I want them to isolate one movement so they can, if they don't isolate a movement, oftentimes a player's muscle memory or or pre-conceived motion will override what you're trying to teach them sometimes. So there's both ways work. The the problem, of course, is if a player is not finding the swing path, for example, or the contact point, you may have to isolate it. But here's the, the neat thing. We do exactly what you just talked about once they have these isolations, now we coordinate all of it together. So it becomes a seamless movement, which is obviously the goal of that aspect. So if a kid or a young lady or young boy is not learning a uh, hitting up the inside of the ball for a kick serve or uh, outside top third of the ball for say a hybrid slice serve, um, we may isolate and often to isolate certain aspects of that. And then One thing I know from teaching 3,500 players is every player in golf, we do the same thing. I isolate the swing. And then once the player starts to master that without what we call unconscious competence, meaning they don't have to think about that part anymore, it happens automatically. Those, every one of my players evolves into a very fluid pattern within the context of what we're trying to get them to achieve in terms of the swing path the contact point, the body position, the balance, everything. And so I've never had a, a had this conversation with Hank Pfister, who's the great doubles champion. And we were both speaking at a conference and he was talking about cloning players. And I said, well, hey, I've taught 3,500 players essentially the exact same way. I've never had two players, even identical twins, ever play exactly like, because there's too much intrinsic personality, perception, Strengths, weaknesses, things that will override the mechanical aspects of learning a correct serve, a correct volley, a correct groundstroke. So if you watch every pro, there's certain elements that are very individual, very unique to that. That's why Djokovic can mimic. Rafa or right. Sharapova or whoever. Yeah, sure. yeah, Because we all, every one of those players. But if you look at the foundation of the contact window and what the racket's doing on a forehand or a serve, they're identical. Same in the golf world. If you look at Jim Furyk's golf swing compared to Freddie Couples, they're right. very different swings. Yeah, but from the moment uh, the downswing to contact to the follow-through, they're identical without an exception, without exception, because well, really. you cannot send a ball consistently without this area. Now, Furyk has a little loop on his downswing. Well, Furyk's got the figure eight. He's got a big figure eight. He's got a real big figure eight, and which yeah. is very uncommon in the golf world. Um, the, the golf world is far more uh, Ernie Ailes, Adam um, uh, uh, who's the uh, Adam Scott? Who have just gorgeous, gorgeous um, swings. Very, and my daughter is a classic example of that. And uh, you know that that is shows you that individuality will still supersede the mechanics that you're teaching in terms of flow and creating a repeatable, reliable swing path. But if they haven't found those mechanics. From prior to the hit, to the hit, to the after hit. If those are not aligned and can be done on command, then you're going to have a lot of variability in that hitting zone. And that's where players lose the consistency and the continuity. And so why do players hold their finish in golf? Just like in the picture behind me, my daughter finishing her golf swing, world-ranked golfer. She would hold her finish as all pros do. Sure. If you look at Fetter hitting a backhand volley or a backhand ground stroke, he holds his finish probably sure. better than anybody. But in a teaching modality, holding the finish has a dis- distinctive finish to the stroke. So if we have a distinctive beginning point, whether it's a serve and we go through the rituals, and we hold our finish afterwards we have a beginning middle and end that's now repeatable because we have these two ends the beginning and the end the same every time this is why pros hold their finish and we train that in the volley we train that on the serve we want them to hold their finish now obviously as they get more competitive they don't they can't take that extra time to hold their finish and be a you know a statue like but that is a training mechanism that is why we've trained literally even my most raw beginners to become state ranked players because the repeatable reliable think about this phrase repeatable reliable swing path on command that's what defines every good player even unconventional players have that skill a repeatable reliable swing path on command and if you cannot hold your finish you're going to have a different finish which means the stroke is probably going to be slightly different every time you hit. And when you watch a pro hit, you'll see that finish, a momentary pause virtually on every shot, even though even even at the high level, you'll see a very subtle pause. And from a training standpoint, it's imperative. It's absolutely imperative that there is a distinctive beginning and end to every shot so that this repeatable aspect can be done on command. And it's amazing how good aiming gets, aiming for a target, whether it's a topspin stroke, an overhead, a a, a serve. When you have the same stroke happening every time, now aiming becomes real. You can aim a little more right, a little more left, because all you're changing is the body orientation. Well, You're not changing the stroke to accommodate the aim.
1: On the serve, all you're really changing is not even the body so much. At the 45, you can make the smallest of adjustments and go wide. So that's what what I find beautiful about making contact with 45. It's like, imagine if you have a cone like this and you try to balance a piece of paper on it, you can't. If it's a perfect perfect 45 degrees uh, cone, you cannot balance a piece of paper on it because, because it would massage it like this You can get all over it, and it's the same at contact at the 45. You take that point there and just the slightest movement, and you're hitting three feet over here or two feet over there.
0: Right. Um, The
1: only thing I'll say about that, um, and I do have the players freeze finishes on a lot of instances, but one of my favorite players back in the day was Andre Agassi. He did something like no one else and probably because he started so young with a heavy racket. When he, finished, when he finished his backhand, he would just come right in here to this again. And when he would finish his forehand, right, he would always let the elbow come across like this. He, so it was kind of this, as soon as he got on the court, this was it. And then it never stopped, you know. So he flowed right in from one stroke to the other. So he was one of those players, unlike a Stan Smith, unlike a, a John Newcomb, right? right. He had the big finish like that. Agassi was one of the first ones, maybe four or two, that had a sweeping finish that would come right back into their, I call it zero point. It would right. come right back into their zero point and there they are in idle again. Yep. So that was- Well, there. and, and I, I pull pulled this video up
0: because that. that's exactly where we moved to now. We developed drills like the fast hands drill where they're now cycling through the same shot over and over. With that idea of re, of of that fluid motion, obviously they're hitting the same shot over and over. This is where the repeatable, reliable. Do do you see the repeatable, reliable swing? These are all JV kids, by the way. These are not vars. Well, this girl in the black tank top's a varsity. Um, these kids are developing a rhythmic flow. What you that's just right. described. You see, you
1: see, like with her, she's not holding it. She's no, with, no. She and right back remember,
0: I, and this is where a lot of people misunderstand me. We teach the whole finish so that this becomes possible, you cannot get to this point if the stroke is not repeatable and you can't get to a repeatable concept until the player understands the beginning and end once you develop that now you develop the rhythmic aspect of of a flowing swing path so you can see there is a slight. I mean, momentary pause, I mean, it's it's a split second pause, but it's the same, look at her finish. Every time the rack is in the same exact spot, same spot, same leg drive. Now, obviously we're, we're you know feeding the same shot because right now we're not working on the footwork in this sure. drill. we're working on the repeatable aiming of a cross court inside out or inside in, backhand or forehand. So you're seeing the angles being developed, but that flow that you just described, becomes so much more articulated and replicated when a player has developed this beginning and end component because they can't, if if they were changing the stroke, these strokes would look different every single time they're hitting this ball. And we can see this if we look at it in a, a movement type of drill such as here. So now we see a movement to the ball and again, a, I, I try to get them to hold their finish and drag that back toe. Occasionally you'll see that back leg come around a little prematurely. A little and prematurely. These are I noticed it with a
1: couple of your JVs. It comes yeah, these the are all JV.
0: JV here in the middle. Yeah. Um, you're seeing uh, some of the JV boys over here uh, hitting, but you see that back toe trying to drag that toe down so we don't over rotate. And uh, this kid right here, I think over rotates. Whoops, yeah, you can, I really got on him but holding that back foot or kicking that back leg back. You saw Morgan right there, that that momentary pause of that toe drag right there. Toe drag, then the leg does the break step and that's what we're trying to achieve. So even the JV girls here in the middle are learning to still move through the ball, but toe drag or kick that leg back. I'm gonna get us back on serve here though, because that's that's absolutely. But the serve is gonna be the same concept. Uh Uh-huh. So Um, behind me,
1: see Roger here, watch him take this step. Here's the other thing. You see that step he takes in warm-up? Yep. See that? That is key. And I think, especially to a good toss. I don't know if you've tried this before, but I've preached this now for about 15, 20 years after watching Roger over at Indian Wells. I I was watching Roger when he was 17, losing in the first round at the U.S. Open. But there was a few things I noticed when he warmed up, because I had heard about him as a junior. So I had to, I've I've been watching him forever, but when he warms up, he does what you would do at throwing a baseball, right? I mean, he takes a step and he, he goes like that, but he takes a step while he tosses. Right. And what that does, once again, uh, getting back to the serve is what it does is it gets you to toss with your left hip. If you're a righty, Mm -hmm. right. So you can control your toss better. And that was a, that that's another issue with the serve that I find people have incredible difficulty, especially in a match. They'll toss three and four times and go, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Right. Catch it. And it's it's embarrassing to tell you the truth. And I think it's one of the many things that drives people from tennis is, oh, gosh, I don't want to serve.
0: Yeah. You know, you even get that with good players. Yeah. Uh, well, but- I, and I agree. I think anything I mean, every player has certain patterns that are more difficult and the toss is definitely one of them um getting that toss i usually you know players who are focusing on their hand generally lose control of the ball of is there where, smaller, you know, i, I smaller always muscles. I, I tell them i say toss a ball to my hand you know just toss it from eight feet away or six feet away and they toss it and they're pretty close to hitting my hand and i said did you think of when to release the ball did you think of how your hand was gonna move? No, I just toss it to your hand. Okay, on the serve, just think of where in the air my hand is or where you want to toss the ball. And they're like, oh my gosh, I can toss it wherever I want now. Because so many kids and, and adults alike are so focused on how they hold the ball, you know, where they toss it from their hand. And this doesn't work for everybody, but boy, I've found when you move away from the mechanics of the hand toss, although I, I've talked about Holding it like a wine glass or holding it in the palm, or, you know, sometimes you have to adjust that. But when I started focusing on where in the air, pretend there's a shelf. Sure. And you're just going to toss it onto that shelf. They're like, oh. And I, I think that's a real good um, idea to remember that if you've got a player that's having trouble with the toss, um, in addition to your technique of, of getting them to engage that front foot to step and just feel even though obviously that would be a footfall. But as a warm up, that would be certainly another mechanism or tool to what train. I found, what I found was when you go into the toss, you're rising up with this left
1: hand. You have a tendency to, to lean back. Right. And that's why the toss goes behind you. And right. that's why you fix it by taking that step. Because now you're stepping, you're stepping as you toss and your left hip is actually coming off the left hip like that into the toss as opposed to using your smaller muscles. I found a lot in the juniors, I would, um, my toss would go behind me and instead of catching it and looking like an idiot and feeling like an idiot, I would just hit the kick serve. And I think right. that's why so many players, uh, remember we said about 15 minutes ago, the slice serve is underutilized. I think part of that reason is because the kids have poor tosses and they toss on the way back. So now they're forced into a kick serve, even if they don't want to hit one. Right. And, right. and, and so, like I said, to really <laughs> taking that, that step absolutely fixed my um, – I remember after watching Federer, I was like, what's he doing? So I started doing it. And then I realized, wait a minute, you know, Safin, all the – I'm looking at all these – and now, did you see Nadal in the last five years? Nadal takes a little step with his left foot. He never did that five years ago.
0: Yeah. But, I,
1: but you watch, they don't, of course, they don't show it on TV because they don't know what to look for. But I mean, if you watch carefully, Nadal's foot moves about an inch and a half, kind of like Agassiz used to. And, and, and it, it has that little movement. And, and, and it's very key. And I don't think people, so many players, there was a guy named John Hayes, who was number one in New England when I played there. And he, I always thought he had the funniest thing. He would just, right? He would, he would take the step, and then he would go into the serve. And a lot of players would take that step, bring their feet together in a pinpoint. But that step, so many of the better players use it. And like I said, Federer might not use it, but he uses it in warm-up. And Sampras doesn't use it, but he lifts his toe up. So instead of, of, of stepping, he just puts his pedal to the metal as he tosses So there's very, I think that's something I really want to get across to you folks listening, because that is a real, what I'm showing you there behind me is a real simple trick to help someone with their toss and if you can fix their toss, you could change the whole game because if they're not afraid of the serve, all of a sudden, life on the court is, they don't need to go to pickleball, you know, I mean, they like (laughs) tennis. And I think yep. Well, I, you know, I'll agree
0: I, 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 There there's so many ways that we strive, I, of course, uh, as a beginner, if you're teaching a player to step, now you're at some point you're gonna have to either have them back off the, the baseline so they don't footfall or teach them to keep that foot down at some point, because you're well, promoting I that they, forward. Once they
1: understand the principle of why they're stepping, right. then they can make it happen with their hips just without the step. Right. Um, I agree. Like I said, the, the way tennis is taught, and here's a big issue I have. I don't know, some pros still do this. Remember this one when we were kids? Down together, down together up, up together. To well, that's the worst thing you could do. I mean, look at, look at, look at Martina Hingis, the worst, best player with the worst serve. Yep. And that's, you could see her shoulders were level like yep. this as yep. she came up, where you know, of course, all good servers have a slope serve, right? But when you go down together, up together, well, there you are, Your level, which is why Patrick Rafter had to leave the game because he had 140 miles an hour with this level shoulder. Right. Everyone else was like this. So, of course, what did he do? Tore his rotator cuff by 25, out of the game by 26. Guy should still be playing, really. I mean, he's 40 like Federer. He should still be playing. But he was out of the game at 26, just like a lot of other guys. Andy Roddick was out at 26.
0: Yeah, we teach, we teach the cartwheel. I, I don't know if you use the term cartwheel, but that uh, cartwheel where I you I rotate it. over and you'll see this girl serving here is one of my JV girls hitting the kick serve. You can see how that toss arm goes up first. Now the shoulders will, she'll pivot over and do that that's cartwheel nice move. It's not as drastic. I mean, when she got to varsity, that became far more um, pronounced, if you will. But this is just getting her to feel the inside of the ball. yeah so i mean all our players hit a kick serve all our players hit a slice serve. and the only difference for us is once they learn to hit the spin is to toss more forward lean over that left shoulder more so you're not facing the net right because that will destroy any serve if you're facing the net and you haven't hit the ball yet the only thing you can do is pronate and hit it flat you cannot hit the slice because it'll go too far to the left so we teach, now we get them leading into their serve, getting that forward velocity of their body coming forward, but still with the brushing aspect that you see every player. And we have, you know, we have girls that serve over hundred miles an hour, or eighth grade girls, ninth grade girls, because they learn to hit with spin first, throwing that racket edge at leading edge first, getting that maximum racket edge speed coming across that ball. And then it's just how much across the ball or how much at the ball, the, that motion is going to dictate how fast of a velocity versus how much emphasis on spin. So a first serve is definitely one thing. And the other great thing in this, I, I think, can sum this up: if you have a great second serve, you're free to go after a big first serve. That's right. If you have a horrible second serve, you're you're going to be much more reticent in hitting your yeah. first serve hard because you don't want to have to dink your second serve. I, I think most of you guys out there,
1: most of you pros know uh, the standard line. You're only as good as your second serve. Absolutely. Um, but but yeah, these little things, like I said, the, the, learning from the beginning how to move both sides of your body. But what I notice on the girl behind you, if you move a little bit uh, to the side. Yeah. What, what I notice about her serve that, that is so right, and that you've done a good job with her, now, do these girls take privates too, or is it mostly just your coach? I, I've
0: worked with these, most of these players okay. both privately and mostly within a team setting. Well, she's uh, got this the is a private lesson with her, but I do mostly group stuff with large groups of kids. So I'll, I'll teach 40 kids the same serve okay. and work with them as a group. Well, watch, watch
1: what I notice here. What I notice about her is A, when she lands, it's on her left foot. Yeah, and, when, and when she comes through, watch it at a contact where hips are facing. Watch this.
0: Sideways? Right, no, right at the 45. 45 and then look right at the there. kickback, the high kickback of a right and the right And that was the third thing I was gonna say was
1: they kicked that foot back to try and hold their lineup. They're trying exactly. to stay focused on the hit, almost like slam dunk instead of over-rotating and trying to jump out of their skin to hit a serve. You know, I was, I was looking at some, I did a, a couple of three virtual lessons yesterday. And uh, two of them were on the serve, so I pulled out Federer and Djokovic, and it's amazing how little they do on their serve. They just do it all right. They don't right. jump out of their skin. No, nope. It's very clean, it, maybe even a smaller motion than this little girl. E- even smaller, it's just so simple. It's incredible, but right. they do everything right. You know what I mean? Their hips lead the stroke. Uh, their arm comes out, this, this, this joint here in the elbow, right? It's very, very universal. and, and so but, but they don't do anything spectacular. Just everything clean, both, especially Djokovic and Federer, very clean. Nadal, too. It's, it's almost like if you watch it in slow motion, you're like, well, what are they doing? It's not a, that big of a deal. It's almost like a clean throwing motion.
0: I, I would say the 90% of the recreational slash junior slash club adult do more things that pollute a swing of course and
1: we I mean, look at roger i it.
0: agree look at roger here yep. I mean, he looks like he's falling out of bed yep exactly <laughs> you know and, and if you if you slow roger down when he's pl- serving hard in a match you'll see him mimic this young lady a little bit more of a high leg kick The thrust, Uh, she actually, we got her down to a deeper knee bend and so her serve picked up another four or five miles an hour just because she got more thrust forward. I talk about the three ways once you learn to have the swing path correct, then we add three elements to the serve. Upward thrust, forward thrust and rotational thrust. So bigger turn backwards so we can still rotate but not over rotate as you've mentioned. But if we can get them to rotate back more, then they've got more available uncoiling without over-rotating. So greater rotational thrust, upward thrust going forward and up. As you see this young lady do, forward and up. And then forward, how much we toss them all forward and go forward with those other two elements, upward and rotational thrust combined. So those three elements, when we start – Blending those three elements together, now we have a player that can hit a spin serve 120 miles an hour, 110 miles an hour if it's a girl, um, and still get the serve in quite consistently.
1: Well, the, I guess the only difference really is a little bit semantics because I wouldn't say up and forward because I hear that a lot, Cliff Drysdale, and everybody says that. I use nonlinear terms like screw down into the court and screw up out of the court because that encompasses forward. everything that encompasses forward and up. I like that. I like to use the language. That's why I can't wait till we get together because I think we're going to get along fine. But I think <laughs> our languages might start to meld because I really believe that up and forward, well, they're still both linear. But when you think in terms of screwing down and screwing up or when you I think like of, a double, of a double conic. Where it's thin in, in here, and then it goes into like big out here, but it also goes big down at the bottom. So it's a double conic,
0: right? Your yeah. legs if, get. If a up. play, if a player can meld those three elements, and I love that. I'm going to use that phrase: uncoil like a corkscrew. That's right. Where you're and and you know, so you're going up, you're unroll un, 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 and corkscrewing forward. Um, I like linear sometimes because, a, a, and again, every player is slightly different. And so sometimes we'll break it down into, okay, let's just work on the forward thrust or let's just work on a bigger coil and just work on that element. And now let's put two of those together. And then three of those, I would then add the phrase, uncoil like you're uncoiling a corkscrew. Of course, That's a lot right. of these kids hopefully are not uncoiling cor- wine bottles, but you know, the, the yeah. idea of, of the corkscrew of it, I think one universe. reason you
1: have to use linear terms sometimes is when you're working with 40 kids, come on. It's yep. different than what I do. When I work with a one-on-one player, I can say, "Hey, get on the board, and turn." Now you feel how your, your head just kind of comes straight down because you're screwing down into the court and then screw up out of the court. Yep. So I stay away from words like "forward and up," but, but that's what it is. It's forward and up thrust. It, it is both of those. But why not use the term that's more um, illustrative of what it really is, which is a round, it's a roundness as you come up? Yeah. It's not really coming up and forward. It's 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 a little rounder as you come
0: up. Yeah, and, and you have to you have to as a as a great pro has to be able to recognize terminology, analogies, phraseology, things that will actually connect with a player who another phrase may not. Um, a, 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 some players may have never seen a corkscrew in their life, believe it or not. Um, some players may never have seen, um, I, I use bowling, uh, phraseology or, or I use volleyball. a light bulb. I use a light bulb. I say, imagine if I was screwing there you down
1: into the court, right? How would that feel? There I, you and, go. I, and I take the top of their head sometimes and I go, okay, you feel right. that now, do, now screw down into the court without moving your head. Just right. everything else screws down like that. Right.
0: So, so, yeah, I mean, when, and one of the things when I opened, we started talking, I started talking about high school tennis because you're going to have 30 well hopefully you've got a lot of kids i mean i've got 50 on average so um, i would imagine
1: an average coach what has about 30 to 40 kids try out
0: for a I, kid i'd kid. say it's the, the average dad. is closer to 20. um and a lot of coaches cut which i've never cut in my life and No, that's a horrible i a that's i've always largest team in head. every state that's a horrible thing that's well horrible. it is and and the funniest thing is it's not even it's horrible because you're telling kids you're not good enough. That's right. I hate it when coaches say, "Oh, they can come back next year." No, they won't. Do you just embarrass them by That's telling right. them they're not good enough? You, you po- posted your sheet of paper saying, "Here's the team." You. If you didn't make it, see. You next what's year.
1: what's your name? Your name is coach. You're supposed to coach them.
0: To be exactly. And not, if you can't coach, coach for, if, if you can't coach a large number of bad, players, come see me. <laughs> I, not, I, I lecture on high performance programming of large players large groups of players i usually have anywhere between i drill 30 to 40 players on three courts um, every day and uh, we use nine teaching carts we use two ball machines we use a lot of patterns Um, and so one of the things that coaches have got to realize is when you're doing a large group setting uh, when you have a large number of players you've got to figure out how to connect with all of them yeah and so there's where your analogies become much more broad. And like you said, the the light bulb, the corkscrew, um, whether you're talking about um, a a mirror, uh, I use like for the volley, we talk about the mirror reflecting the ball like a beam of light. You wouldn't swing at a beam of light. Well, the kids immediately, uh, oh, I'm just reflecting the ball. then they start learning how to receive a ball rather than um, hit a ball necessarily on, on a particular shot. So one of the things that we obviously do in, in in large group setting is finding ways that we can train everybody, everybody to become highly skilled. And I will challenge anybody to look at my number 45 to 55 or whatever. And usually if they're that low, they just start playing because they will not stay a right. beginner no. for more than a week or two. They, they start learning these advanced techniques Right from the, from the get go. I agree. And if
1: you're a successful coach, you don't say, I coach beginners, because if you coach beginners, that means all your players stay beginners.
0: Yeah. And, and these are, you know, a collage of pictures showing serves and backhands and volleys and forehands of, of players doing exactly what we're talking about. And, uh, you know, this girl up here in the uh, top left uh, picture up here above next to my head with a white visor. She was um, number twenty-two on my JV team, her freshman year. Her sophomore year, she was the number two player in state, oh, and she good. won state twice, runner-up once.
1: Well, not only do you have happy kids, you have happy
0: parents too. Oh, of course. The parents really appreciate you spending time with their kids. And and one of these players, the player on the top right, um, Cassie and her l- twin sister on the bottom, um, second on the bottom. Uh, second from the top on the left, in the back end. Those two are identical twins. And I had them from their freshman to senior year. And, and Cassie, top right players and coach at the banquet, um, we figured, Cassie, Callie and I figured you spent 1,400 hours with us over four years. 1,400 Yeah, yeah that's probably true. And you think about it, you're with them two to three hours a day during season. You're with them 24-7 when you travel. You're with them in the offseason season however many hours they're spending, you're maybe doing private lessons with some mm-hmm. of them. And so I take that very um, importantly, and, and I know we're off the subject of serving, but serving and, and every other shot in tennis is about a, a training mechanism that allows a player to use their skills. And uh, the amazing thing is these players may initially look like they can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Sure. and. When you start showing them these advanced foundation techniques, it's amazing how many of them, and you give them the, the right practice regimen, the exercise, the drills, the, you know, just like you are talking about how to, how to toss and catch, how to, you know, not just toss balls at them over and over and expect them to right. somehow through attrition become skilled players. It doesn't work that way. No. You cannot, if you're not correcting the aspect of the stroke. They're not usually doing, yeah. they're not a like boats are.
1: A bad habit just gets ingrained like like any habit.
0: Right. Absolutely a bad correct. Habit gets ingrained. You've got and a bad it makes thought. it exponentially harder to, yeah. to fix later on.
1: Well, before you and I start ranting off into more stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's about, talk a little
0: more about you know, serving. You
1: coaches, you don't know what the hell you're doing out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I applaud anybody watching this, Jack. If you're watching this program, or reading our books or, or, or pulling up videos, you are my hero, because you are trying to find ways as we have done to discover better ways to coach boys and girls, men and women to become highly skilled players using tools, using mechanisms, using uh, you know, everything to, to reach these kids and train them. And so I applaud you I for too. wanting to listen to treat. these kind of ideas.
1: And you know what, I, to take it one step further before we go, to take it one step further, I always tell the parents the same about their kids when they start complaining, oh, my kid's losing and blah, he chokes and he loses the players better than him. First thing I do is I look at the parent, I go, you know what, your kids are stud. Just yeah. the fact that they get out there on that tennis court where they're all alone, no place to hide, no place to hide. Yep. And, and they face the big H, right? The big H, humiliation every time they step on the court. You ought to salute that kid just for having the huevos to get out there on the court in singles or doubles even. Doubles is worse in some ways because you got a partner that can roll their eyes if you double fault four times in a row. So the fact that they're out there and I say the same about the coaches, the fact that they're actually trying and putting themselves out there to learn something new, uh, they
0: are heroes.
1: They are- Absolutely right. So. Absolutely right.
0: And and the kid, when you start believing sincerely, and I, you know, when we took over uh my girl, the girls' golf team that my daughter and I are coaching now, the previous coach actually told players, why are you playing golf? You're never going to be that oh, I good. It all the time. And we hear it on the tennis court. And we are just the opposite. I'll tell my last player, you're going to be a state champion. It is well within what we train you. And if you've got the desire, you're going to achieve it. And that belief, that sincerity. Uh, whether it's teaching a slice serve, a kick serve, or a a bombed hybrid serve, you, you've got to give them some personal belief. And a lot of times parents forget to do that. And they're their own. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, listen, we'll have to, you know what, we'll have to talk about that.
1: The secrets to success. We'll have to talk about the secrets to motivation.
0: Absolutely. Inspiration, motivation.
1: Well, we'll do that again. And, um, I think we're good on, on serve today. I, I think we've covered a lot of nice ground.
0: I think uh, everyone listening to this will discover through all of our series of these videos, we kind of go back and forth a yeah, lot. You know, we focus on serve. We're gonna go back and forth because there's a lot of parallels between serving and volleying and overheads and other things that, and even the learning transition to becoming a highly skilled player has correlation between the volley and the ground stroke, just like the serve. And so I I think it's important that players understand it's not just one element, that there is crossover between-
1: Well, you know how I feel about that, right? The figure eight. I don't care if it's a serve, I don't care if it's a backhand, forehand volley, it's all emanating, even I don't care if it's your ready position, it all emanates from this mother form of movement that I call the figure eight. So yeah, we'll, we'll- We we do drift a little bit, probably because of our age, too, you know, but uh, we drift around.
0: (laughs) Well, just to understand in this picture, I I pulled this one up of one of my academies. This was back before I was coaching high school tennis. Kid in the red shirt, A.J. Barlett, he's uh, the founder of Diadem Sports. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, and I trained him for four or five years. Uh, This young lady is Jessica Watts, a great pro up in Salt Lake who was nationally ranked. Uh, this young girl in the little red is the girl that you saw serving um, with a little, uh, she, that's her when she was about 10. This girl right here is Stephanie, who initially was cut from a program. Um, I started training her with a two handed forehand. She became a top ranked college player at SUU. Um, and so you see a lot of uh, players here. Uh, Scott Adams this guy right here was my assistant who trained uh, Helene Yankovic and Bethany Maddox-Sands in, in Texas after um, we changed this program to um, so another one. Has,
1: has the one from Diadem started Diadem? Has he got you on the racket yet?
0: Well he's he I'm, I'm a master pro for Dunlop as, as you can see from my Dunlop hat and so one of the problems I had AJ I said AJ you're gonna to have to match what I get as a master pro for Dunlop. And, um, and I have a, a, my territory manager for Dunlop is a player I coached back in the eighties. And so I have a familiarity with that coach and pro yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know who Steve Schultz is, but a very, very I do, uh, I do, I do exceptionally great player uh, that came out of our program back in the '80s. I in night. Yep. So I, I'm sort of committed to who I've been That's with, and, and but I, I, I will say, Diadem products are very, very good. And I, he sent me some of the string, and I was like, this stuff plays great. I loved it. So I, I've got nothing bad to say, other than it's a great product as well. And, and uh, there's a lot of good products out there. I never favor one other than the fact. It's that funny. I'm, I
1: just, I just got a call. I'm switching. I was with Wilson in the last 10, 15 years,
0: and before that, head.
1: I just got a call. I'm going to switch to Vocal now. There you go. So you know, I there's mean, a lot of
0: great products out there. I, I love them all. I, I just, I'm, I'm favoring one just because I've been with Dunlop for uh, as a master pro. There's only a few of us. I, I was a premier ad staff for Prince. I was a uh, master pro for Wilson. And so I have like you, we've kind of moved from from product to product, but I, I always believe that there's a lot of good products out there and you've got to find what works best for you and try out. Wherever
1: who gives you the most rackets for free. That was, always that was always my case. Do I get shoes? If I get <laughs> shoes, you got the deal.
0: <laughs> well, in today's world, it's a little tougher for sure, but... Um, I, 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 found that there's a lot of uh, wonderful string, a lot of wonderful rackets out there. And, um, I, I, I love my Dunlop line, but I'll tell you, AJ's done a great job of uh, creating Diadem and, and really favoring. Oh yeah. Uh, Diadem,
1: they contacted me as well. They sent me, um, they sent me some string, which I haven't used yet. They sent me a half a dozen cans of balls. Um, so yeah, no, they're, they're out there. They're working it. I, I yep. got, I got my email and my phone
0: call from them. There you go. Well, we we promote them all. I just, uh, I've been with Dunlop. But anyway, all in all, Jack, this is a, a lot of fun for me. And, and I think people are going to see a lot more of you and I together, kind of trying to hone in on, on okay, this is a system that works. It's worked for me for 3,500 students. It's worked for you through how many countless decades that you produce some amazing pros and amazing students. And so we're sharing what we know, and, and we're, we, you and I are both products of many others. I, I use Isaac Newton's famous phrase, if I've seen further is from standing on the shoulders of giants and you and I have both been part of the USPTA, PTR, USTA true, 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 world true. of, of, of people who have shared their knowledge with us. That's right. Yeah, we're, incorporating a lot of that information as well as the information that we share when we speak to groups and so we're putting giving you a lot of well basically a we're, of taking a life, we're taking two lifetimes worth
1: of player coaches tips and drills and everything else we've been through and making it into a system as opposed to just sporadic yeah connected drills yeah. that we hope work and like throwing spaghetti against the wall, maybe it'll stick. No, this is a system. We we each have our system, and and I like I said, I look forward to melding them together one of these days on the court, and really having it out and having some fun. And because yeah, it's a system to where you, you plug in the player, they come out a play
0: I mean, the person they come out a player. Absolutely, and and the and the beauty of it is, I found that. Uh, all of our players become highly skilled there's not one that doesn't become highly skilled so obviously it's not like i'm training or you're training 100 players and only two of them become top ranked no, no, we're talking 95 percent of them or more all are them, becoming highly, all highly, highly skilled all
1: of them get hit a pretty ball is everyone six foot five like sam query or incredibly driven like stevie johnson always has been since he was just a little kid uh no but but everyone can hit a good ball and that's that's what it's all about if you want to grow the game you can't just have the funnel system like those academies right where thousands of kids come in hundreds leave with arm problems and <laughs> yeah. then and then you squeak out an agassiz. so right. what that's not really helping the game very much
0: it's, it's... If, if your program is successful you're going to have multitude of highly skilled players now the ones that like you said have the desire the drive the discipline the dedication they're gonna to rise to the very top. Of course. But you should, I mean, you should not just have one or two or three players who emerge as top ranked and then a big gap. Sure. There should not be that. There, All your players should be, and, and, and when we talk at a later date about inspiration, right. how can you make those lower levels become passionate about tennis? Right. Now you've got players that have the potential to get to that high echelon That'll um, be a, we'll
1: have lots of stories to we, tell. We will.
0: So That's anyway, great. folks, thank you for listening. We will look forward to our next session with you great. with uh, Secrets to Success with Jack and Dave. Dave, nice seeing you as always. See you soon. Always. See you.